Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all Feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, I'm Joey C. Welcome back to another episode of Spirit Sherpa. This is the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me as always is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta. Hey Kelly. Hey Joey. How's it going? It's going good. We're back to do a little mythology here. We are. And Kathy's here. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Kathy is here. Hey, Kathy. (laughs) Hey, Joey. You can always tell when Kelly gets up into that soprano octave that you're here. I was a soprano. Yes, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) So we are talking more mythology and we're talking a whole bunch of things, but we're primarily talking around the Minotaur today, right? Well, the Minotaur and the Labyrinth. Okay. They go hand in hand. Well, they coexist. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily hand in hand because the Minotaur exists within the Labyrinth, but the Labyrinth has its own mythology. Okay, cool. Well, let's start with the Minotaur. What is the Minotaur? In order to understand what the Minotaur is, you have to back up a little bit because King Minos or Minos, depending on who you ask, was begging Poseidon, the Greek sea god. He prayed to Poseidon to provide him with a bull, a white bull that would show him that he was supported in his life. So he was supposed to kill the bull to honor Poseidon, but he didn't because he got the bull and it was so amazing and so beautiful that he just couldn't bring himself to do it. And so he killed a different bull instead. To punish him, Poseidon made his wife fall in love with the bull and bestiality ensued and she got pregnant with what turned into the Minotaur. 
right? Or the Minotaur, depending on who you ask. That comes from King Minos and Tor meaning Taurus the bull. Mm -hmm. And so in its original area, it was known as Asterion, which is the starry one. And so they think it has some reference to Taurus, the constellation. It's the head of a bull and the body of a man. Okay. Kathy and I were talking before we started, you want to talk about the bull head? What I was talking about is that from the Middle Eastern area of the world, particularly if you go back into the old Hebrew alphabet, is that Aleph is the character that is representative of the horns of a bull, and that the bull is the emblem of leadership, so that King Minos's request to Poseidon for the white bull, it layers in a lot of different things about demonstrating that there's nobody else like him as a leader because a white bull would be an amazing thing. Nobody else has a white bull and bulls in and of themselves are emblems of leadership. Right. Before we get too far afield, Aleph, A-L-E-P-H is what she said, not Olive, Aleph. And there is a book by Paul Coelho of the same name, which is kind of an interesting aside there and not a bad book while we're talking about it. The other thing is white animals are often seen as harbingers. In Native American culture, the white buffalo is sacred. It is above all other buffalo and white buffalo woman is her own thing. And we'll, we'll talk about that eventually too. But when you deal with albino animals, they are signifiers. They're often considered signifiers in mythology because they are so rare. Okay. Okay. The Minotaur was receiving tribute. So King Minos had declared war on Athens and had defeated Athens and was going to run roughshod over Athens unless Athens paid him tribute so that he could sacrifice people to the Minotaur. So Athens would send seven girls and seven boys every single year to be sacrificed to the Minotaur to assuage the Minotaur from running roughshod over the island because he was bloodthirsty and angry. If you know, yeah, I'm not going to make that comment. <laughs> you heard yeah. it, Joey. I know you heard it in my head and I wasn't, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to say it. He had parental problems. He his did. father probably didn't love him. Well, actually, the, his father was a bull, but his stepfather didn't <laughs> like him very much like that. And I'm sure his mother had a problem with it birthing him. So, you know, this guy probably wasn't very much like, no wonder he ran roughshod over the island. He was well, and, and then they locked him in the labyrinth which was, it's not the typical labyrinth that we think of okay. in today's culture. When we think of a labyrinth, we think more often of like a hedge maze or stones on the ground that are, you know, you can see across or whatever. But in this case, the labyrinth was actually underground. And he got locked underground, which would make anybody cranky, in this labyrinth that was designed by Daedalus and Icarus. And we'll talk more about Icarus and Daedalus later. So he was cranky and pissy and hungry. You know, he only got fed once a year. So, you know, I'd be cranky and bitchy and hungry too if I only get fed once a year and had to live on whatever I could find in the cave labyrinth. Until one year, Theseus, who was the son of the king of Athens who had been defeated, and I can't remember his name right now, Theseus put himself in with the, the tribute that was sent from Athens. And Ariadne, who is King Minos's daughter, fell in love with him upon the moment of seeing him. And he led her on, and she 
saved his ass. She came to his room the night before they were going to be put in with the Minotaur and she brought him a ball of twine and a sword. And she said, when they close you in, tie the ball of twine to the door and play it out so that you don't get lost in the labyrinth. And here's the sword to kill the Minotaur. And he did. He, he killed the Minotaur. He followed the thread back out, the twine back out. And there was Ariadne having unlocked the door and let him and the other children who had been set for tribute out. And they all got on a boat together to go back to Athens, where Ariadne expected to marry Theseus. Theseus, being the shit that he is, <laughs> decided, well, I don't think she's very attractive and I'm not really interested they stopped at an island on their way back for provisions and he left her on the island. Now she had gone walking by herself and fallen asleep. So there's those who might blame the uh, poor woman for this, but this is a dick and he left her. So the just desserts, the karma of that is that he failed to fly the white flag when he came back and his father assumed that he had died and he committed suicide. Oh. So that also means he lost his father. He also gained the throne because he became king. Mm -hmm. So patriarchy exists. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the story of Minotaur, right? Minotaur. Everything's a moral tale, right? Everything's a morality tale of some kind. So failing to, to keep your promises gets you punished because he didn't sacrifice the bull. And so Poseidon made his wife fall in love with the bull. And then bestiality gets you monsters. Is that really one that we need a lesson on, though? <laughs> Evidently, <laughs> some people do. <laughs> <laughs> kind of think that one would be pretty straightforward, but okay. Okay. And betrayal gets you death in your family. Mm -hmm. The elite become more elite regardless. <laughs> I guess that's an inevitability, but I don't know if it's a moral tale. Yeah. It's a lesson of some sort, right? Now, the interesting thing is, is that I also, in my, in my research on the Minotaur, because it's been years since I've read anything about the Minotaur, I had somebody asking about the labyrinth. And so if I was going to talk about the labyrinth, I would talk about the Minotaur because they're sort of entwined in this particular instance. The interesting thing is, is that I watched a video talking about the scientific underpinnings of why they thought that this would be the case. And in the earliest texts, according to the video I watched, the Minotaur was not actually there was no reference to him being a bull-headed person hmm. and that it was just a monster. And the scientists think that it's actually a reference to the seismic activity that takes place on Crete and that much like the mythos of Pele arose on Hawaii from the volcano eruptions, they have the similar sorts of things for Crete in terms of the seismic activity there causing loud noises throughout the caverns and caves underneath the island. And seismic activity opens up the earth, which then swallows people. Right. Yes. So that too. there's a number of ways that seismic activity could be the monster underneath the ground. Yeah. And then the sounds that it makes as the things shift and become echoed through the caverns and the caves, right? Mm -hmm. it, it makes a lot of noise and sounds that can sound very scary. If you've ever been spelunking in areas where things are 
not quite stable, you hear some weird stuff. All of these things go into a mythological explanation about why it was considered to be a monster. And so that's an interesting sidebar as well. I've talked a lot. Kathy, do you want to talk about the labyrinth? Well, there's a lot of different ways to look at labyrinths. People have used them for a variety of purposes over the years, one of which is to confuse and confound, as was with the uh, mythos of the Minotaur. Because even if they didn't run into the Minotaur and get killed, they couldn't find their way out again. So sooner or later, the Minotaur was either going to get them or they were going to die underground somewhere. They can also be, as in, I believe it's the Labyrinth of Chartres from the Cathedral in Paris, where the people have built those as a walking meditation. It's not really to confuse and confound. It's just a, a path mm. that circles around and almost double back on itself and allows you the chance to kind of take a contemplative journey towards getting to the center instead of our usual more Western approach of zoom, straight line, there I am kind of thing. And to recognize that sometimes the path is like that. It doubles back and it looks like we cover almost the same ground that we did before so that there's a lesson in walking a labyrinth of that type. And then they were also, um, like in some of the English garden, you talked about the hedge labyrinths, they were built for fun. They would go in and they would figure out their way through them and then there'd be a picnic in the center of it or something like that. They were a means of entertainment. And of course, in Harry Potter, they were an element of danger because there were dangerous things in the labyrinth that ended up killing you if you went in there. The idea of entering into somewhere where the path is unknown, where you can run up against walls and get lost where you step into something that you cannot find your way out of, obviously has a continued subconscious impact, which is where a lot of myth comes from, for us as human beings that goes back, you know, thousands of years. And if you look at it from that standpoint of we don't like to be lost, we like to understand where we're going, um, we like to have a clear path forward, we like to be able to see where we're going. That's the other thing with labyrinths is if the hedges are high, you can't see over them, you're stuck, is that it really plays into your comfort or lack thereof with trusting in the unknown right. and being willing to quote unquote fail or make mistakes, turn down a wrong path, get stuck, for example, in order to continue on a journey of getting to where you want to go. And from the concept that we're talking about here with the Minotaur, the tributes, the labyrinth, all of these show up over and over again in any number of pop culture movies and things like that. Maze Runner was one that you can think of a labyrinth there uh, where the whole construct was there was something in the maze that they had to figure out how to get around. Hunger Games, another one that we talked about before we came on the air, the whole concept of sending tributes to be effectively sacrificed. This particular story comes back over and over again. But in the general overall sense, what are we learning from the story? I know, Kelly, you gave us a couple of things, and one of them being the bestiality makes monstrous things, which I think was a great lesson for all of us today. <laughs> but what are we learning from the story of the Minotaur, the story of King Minos, the story of, of the Labyrinth? What are these things telling us with regards to, you know, is there anything that we can pull from it with regards to our journeys? I think the Minotaur is its own thing. You mm -hmm. know, I think it's important to understand that it's one of many boogeyman mythologies that exist. The Minotaur being that you were going underground, there was also an element of going into the underworld to a certain extent. People may go in, but no one comes out sort right. of thing, which is, you know, death, right? It's got its own 
parallel there. But the labyrinth itself is it is a really malleable symbol. And the labyrinth itself, given the different dynamics in which it exists, is, in my opinion, a reference of a stepping out in faith and a willingness to go where you don't know what to expect. And to me, it's a symbol of the spiritual journey because so much of the spiritual journey is doubling back on yourself and running into walls and not knowing exactly where you're supposed to go next and, you know, stepping out and just going, well, I'm just going to go this way and we'll see what happens. Right. And so much of it lacks a roadmap that to me, the labyrinth reflects that. And in fact, I have done a ritual with the labyrinth. It's, it's a traditional ritual to do at the summer solstice is to work with a labyrinth. Okay. I was doing a labyrinth with a student of mine who had come out of Alexandrian Wiccan tradition. And so she was really used to having a script for everything she did. And we were working with her on going with more low magic, as you feel called, that sort of thing. And the ritual we had designed was a labyrinth in which the two men in the circle that we were working with were holding the center of the labyrinth. And you had to walk the labyrinth, get to the center, interact with each of the men to get whatever the things were that they were going to give you, and then walk the labyrinth back out again. And we had guardians at the front and guardians at the back, you know, keepers of the gate. And it was the one ritual that she had done herself. She was doing it herself. And the men were holding the walls of the labyrinth and the women were holding the gates. So she's sitting there, we've set up the labyrinth on the ground and she's like going through and there's a couple of pieces of things on the ground that need to be picked up so that they're not, you know, relevant in, in an energetic context. Once you get in there, you know, a flower here and, you know, some other stuff that have fallen on the ground there. And she looks at them and says, okay, put the walls up. And I'm just acting as safety, right? That's my job as safety. So she tells them to put the walls up and then she proceeds to walk through the walls to pick up the things that needed to be picked up off the ground. I'm like, okay, she's not hurting herself. So I'm not going to say anything, but she's going to be toast at the end of this thing because she's walking through energetic walls. And we do the ritual and everybody gets through, but the guys haven't left the labyrinth yet. And so... It turns out that between the time that we planned the ritual and the time that we ran it, one of the two men was her husband and they had agreed to separate and they were divorcing. So the guy who was not her husband left the labyrinth and she goes and grabs the person from the front gate and pulls her away from the gate to go make offerings to the fairies of the woods for thank you for you know helping us hold space thereby starting to collapse the labyrinth from one side while her soon-to-be ex is inside it. Okay. Not conscious. She was not conscious that she was doing this. I stepped in and held the gate, and I called over to the woman on the other side and said, do not leave your post no matter what she tells you to do. (laughs) She's like, got it. And she goes over and tries to pull the other woman away. And the other woman's like, nope, we finally get the husband to get out of the labyrinth. And then we can be close the labyrinth. It's the stuff that happens, right? You know, so we get to dinner and 
before we got to dinner, I'd pulled her aside and said, not okay trapping your husband in the labyrinth. (laughs) (laughs) I know he pissed you off. Not okay. She's like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. I'm like, I understand, but some part of you did know, and that's not okay. And I'm talking to that part of you. And she's like, okay. So we get to dinner and she's just like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I'm like, well, of course you're tired. You walk through walls multiple times. <laughs> she was like, oh, I did do that. I said, yes, you did do that. And so, you know, I was there to step in just to make sure everything was safe, but it was her ritual to run. So the only time I interfered was when there was, you know, potential damage to be done. But it was really interesting to watch all of it go down. And so, you know, that's something that you can do on the summer solstice is to, you know, do a labyrinth ritual and receive a gift at the center and, you know, come out the other side and that can be done. And recently, the, the thing that inspired us to have this particular episode is that I was talking with someone on a discovery call and she had had a dream about being in a labyrinth and going into the center and finding these ancient wise men who were giving her advice in the center. And as I talked with her more about it, what I realized was that for her, because there were different rooms off of this labyrinth for her, which is unusual. Normally there's not rooms off of the labyrinth, but for her, the labyrinth represented her inner being herself. Normally when we see ourselves in a dream, it's often within the context of a house. Our home is ourselves. But for her, it was the labyrinth. And that's what was being represented in the stream. That's another way in which it can manifest. The labyrinth is really quite versatile, depending on how you're using it. And I wanted to jump in, Joey, and answer your question about the Minotaur. I think the underlying most important message is the Minotaur mythos is keep your promises. Yeah. Yeah. He made a promise to Poseidon and he didn't keep it. Negative consequences. The Ariadne helped Theseus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically there was an implicit promise, certainly in that, in terms of the assistance. And that was also denied lack of integrity with negative consequences. So there was a number of things, I think, in that one that, I mean, we mentioned other lessons as well. But when you're working in magical, energetic space, um, be very careful what you say and most careful what you promise. Yeah. Because breaking those promises has repercussions that are beyond just the day-to-day, oh, I said I'd, you know, be here by 8 and I'm here at 8.15 kind of thing. Be very careful of your word, I think, is one of the underlying important messages of the mythos of the Minotaur. Well, and if you look at it from King Minos' perspective, he failed to make his sacrifice and in doing so lost his wife and ultimately lost his daughter and ultimately lost the tribute from Athens. So basically his whole life broke down because of his unwillingness to keep his word. All right. Well, this has been incredibly informative. I think we've learned a lot today, especially with regards to how these mythologies then play out again in the future. You know, Kathy, you talked about the different types of labyrinths that we might see uh, and what those effects are. We talked about how, Kelly, you talked about how they could be used within ritual, especially around the solstice. So all of these things show that these these mythological symbols come back again throughout, throughout time and then play into the, our journeys today. Very cool stuff. 
Is there anything either of you want to say to sort of sum up this? I think we we really have. Don't break your promises and don't have sex with animals. I think those are the two key <laughs> takeaways today. Particularly that second one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to say something about integrity. Okay. Because, you know, Kathy and I, that's one of the things that we share as our very first priority in everything is integrity. And there's a big reason for that. When you stay in integrity, you create safe space for others and you create solidity for yourself. If you are not someone who is good at keeping your word, then really make an effort to start keeping your word. Just don't promise things you can't deliver on. And I think we've talked about integrity in another podcast, but it's been a while. I'm going to revisit it for a minute, which is being in integrity doesn't mean keeping your commitments no matter what. It means being in integrity with what's true for you. And that if you have committed to something and you find that you are no longer able to do it, that you take responsibility, you go to the person for whom you made the commitment and you say, I'm sorry, I am no longer able to keep this commitment. How can I help you find someone who can help you? Because I I committed to this and I want to make sure that it gets done. Mm -hmm. And that's what integrity is. It's not about being locked in and in jail to your word. It's about being in integrity with who you are and what's true for you and not being lackadaisical with what your commitments have been. Because, you know, I see this a lot in new age culture where they're like, oh, I just didn't feel like coming. The, the energy just wasn't there. And it's like, but you committed to bring these things that we were depending upon. Right. Oh, but I just didn't, it just didn't call to me. So I assumed you didn't need it. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not how this works. It sounds right? like an excuse. <laughs> you can't just say, oh, well, the energy wasn't there. You have to say, I'm not feeling it. How can I get the things that you need to you? Because you still have something that you're intending to do and that I've committed to help with, right? right. That's, I see that a lot in specifically pagan and new age culture. And I just want to call bullshit on that. Okay. <laughs> that is not okay. Nothing in the spiritual world says, oh, it's okay. No, it's not. Keep your word and be respectful of others. You know, if you want to be treated with respect, you have to be respectful of others. What goes around comes around, baby. There you go. And that bestiality thing will definitely get in the way. <laughs> Kathy's a dirty old woman, in case you didn't know. <laughs> Technically, you were the one who brought it up, though. I did, but she keeps bringing it up, and that's a different story altogether. <laughs> I brought it up because that was part of the mythos. Oh, it's like the, was it the myth of the poop that we talked about the other day? I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. The, the dog poop. Dog I think poop. Yeah, myth oh, of the yes, dog poop. Oh, yes, the dog poop. Yes. That's right. We were going to uh, explore that later. Yes. Yes. We've got a whole episode of that, I'm sure, coming up at some point. <laughs> that's right. I'm sure there'll be Cheech and Chong moments in there as well. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. We want you to join us on Facebook. So come out and hang out with us on the Facebook group. It's the Spirit Tripper Podcast After Party Facebook group. Come and hang out with us there. Also, you can go to kellysparta.com. All kinds of cool stuff there that you can sign up for, that you can, including discovery calls, energy scans, all of those things. You can get those on kellysparta.com. And last but not least, subscribe, like, share, rate, 
let us know what you think about what's going on here and let us know what you think about the mythology series. We're just starting out. So this is uh, just getting into it. So lots of stuff going on here. We want to know what you what your thoughts are. Maybe if they have myths that they want to hear about that we don't have in the, the list because you guys have quite an extensive list of things you want to talk about. But uh, maybe there's stuff out there that people are thinking as well that might help give ideas. So let us know in the Facebook group. Absolutely. All right. That is all that we have for this week. But be sure to join us next time as Kelly adds another chapter into your guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. I'm Joey C. here with Kelly Sparta and Kathy Shiron. And you have been listening to Spirit Chirpa. So long, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Spirit Chirpa is the sole property of Kelly Sparta Enterprises and is distributed under Creative Commons BY-NC-ND 4.0 license. For more information about this licensing, please go to creativecommons.org. Any requests for deviations to this licensing should be sent to K-E-L-L-E at K-E-L-L-E-S-P-A-R-T-A dot com. That's Kelly at kellysparta.com. To sign up or to get more information on the programs, offerings, and services referenced in this episode, please go to kellysparta.com. This episode of Spirit Chirpa has been produced by Honu Voice Productions. And my love and my life and me. Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing, but you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since you seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space. And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half, guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.